Let's welcome Tay this morning. Amen. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Good morning. Good to see you all. Some friendly faces. I'm smiling and you're smiling back. That's always a win. So uh, I'm excited. I'm going to flip it this way so the uh, stand don't fall on me. Uh, as it was shared, I'm Tavon. Tay, I go by. Uh, been serving with Crossroads now uh, two years part-time. Quick, quick story. I got out of Moody, got into a church, uh, was pastoring there for a little bit, student pastor, associate pastor. Three years, it wasn't the best experience, fresh out of Moody, and um, we ended up leaving. And I told God, I said, God, uh, sheep bite and it hurts. I'm never going back. Uh, I then jumped into working in the financial industries for six years uh, to where I just finally let go in April. Uh, and during that time, I was with Crossroads part-time uh, for two years and jumped back in to where God has called me to be, which is a ministry. So I'm excited. Uh, but in that transition of jumping back into full-time ministry, um, we also gave birth to our second child. And so my family couldn't be here today, but they sent two things. They sent the two Ps, prayer and pictures. All right. And so I got a picture of my family up there. My wife, Samantha, our firstborn son, Harvey, and our baby girl, Layla Joel, who is a, a month old. And so it's a, a lot of fun. We are at the stage now of at least getting five hours of sleep, uh, <laughs> but up early to hang out with the two year old who's ready to jump off the walls early. So, uh, yeah, th that's our that's our family. Uh, grateful for them and their prayers. Grateful for you all uh, as well. Thank you for the invitation, Pastor Ryan, uh, to the staff who was working behind the scenes throughout the week. Uh, here's one thing I am not good at, and that's administration. So thank you for the love and the, and the patience on getting things, uh, and I'm excited to bring uh, God's word today. So pray with me, and we will uh, jump right in. Uh, God, you are so good to us, and so Lord, your word is getting ready to go forth. And you tell us that it's going to go and it won't return void. That it's going to accomplish exactly what it's set out to do. God, your people who are sitting in these chairs, watching online, need a word. And so, God, would you use me this morning? Would you let the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight? Lord, I, I need you to increase, not Tavon. I, I need you to get the glory, not me. And I pray this in your name. Amen. If I had to put a text, a title on this sermon, which I did, uh, I want to preach this morning, doomed by mistakes, but destined by mercy. Doomed by mistakes, but destined by mercy. Uh, I haven't met many people in life who set out to fail. Matter of fact, none. Right? I'm, I'm sure there's a few in the world, but, but I haven't met anybody who got up in, in the morning and says, you know what, my job today is to go out and fail. But it's inevitable in our lives, mine and yours, that failure is going to be a part of our story. It's going to be a part of our lives. It's going to be a part of our family history, part of your, your walk with the Lord. Uh, those are things from uh, obeying a traffic law. For me, uh, stop signs mean partially stop. <laughs> I uh, received a ticket about a year and a half ago. We, uh, we moved from uh, Glen Ellen to Wheaton. It was, a it was a train on the tracks. I had to get to a meeting and four cars in front of me. Well, I'm going eastbound. The train is coming southbound. So I crossed the medium, <clears throat> stop, nope, didn't stop, kept going. And there awaits an officer. 
And sure enough, pulls me over, gives me a ticket because I crossed the medium and because I could have put people in danger because I was by the train tracks. $235 ticket. I tried to fight it because I didn't feel like I was in the wrong. However, that same uh, week as, as, I, as, I, as I go through, uh, I see the public defender that I uh, know from the town, and I tell him what happened, and he gives me his business card, and he says, email me your ticket number, and I'll take care of it. So he took care of the ticket. However, the failure on my part was Tavon didn't obey the traffic law. And there was the cop to give me a ticket that could have cost me $235 that I didn't want to spend. So it's from disobeying the law, using bad language. Maybe it's the failure of missing deadlines at work or some interpersonal things in your relationships. Even if you look down to our culture or the things around us, you see failure all throughout the media and our celebrities and the list goes on and on. Those failures and those mistakes or those sins, we still have to put them sometimes in the L column. Losses to us. But, but can we learn from those? Can there be a moment to where we say, yep, that was a failure, but I'm willing to move on and learn from that. These failures can either lead us to victories or keep us in the sorrowful aftermath of doom. And when we mess up, or when we fail, church, do we find it necessary to repent or drive right and make things right with maybe those we hurt? Or what is the response of failure? Do we scapegoat or point the blame? Do we tear ourselves down and live as if, and live as if there is no hope? Do we wallow in self-pity? Or do we run, flee, and hide, hoping that it never comes up again? Or do we hurt others because hurting people hurt people? Or do we live in doom and fate and not learn from the failures and the mistakes? Listen, sin and failure can make you feel demoralized or helpless and hopeless, anxious both consciously and unconsciously, but you can return to the right path. Think about Adam and Eve, our first parents. God placed them. They did what they wanted to do. They sinned. They figured out they were naked. God seen it. And what did God do? He still covered them. They returned back to the right path. You and I, too, have that opportunity. And so today, if you don't get nothing out of the sermon, here's what I want you to get out of. Failure isn't final because God finishes our stories. Failure isn't final because God finishes our stories. It can be written, but it won't be the end. It may come up in the memory, but it will not consume us. On the earthly side of it, you may see in scene roll the credits, but on God's supernatural side, you see God makes beautiful things out of the dust and out of the broken pieces. And we see his fingerprints in all of that. It is not final. It is not final. God makes things beautiful. And so turn with me, if you haven't already, to Psalm number 51. Psalm number 51. We'll see this morning some uh, contrition of David's heart from a failure of his past. But before I get there, allow me, allow me to lay out the ingredients before we bake the cake. And I do love cake. 
2 Samuel chapter 11, story of David, you all may know. David decides as, as a king to have this uh, affair with uh, Bathsheba. Uh, and in chapter uh, 11 of 2 Samuel, you see David lose his morals, his political ethics, his relationships, and it shows the effects of sin. Because an untamed appetite becomes an uncontrollable addiction. It's devastating. David loses his mind. David the king. It's supposed to be out at battle, like literally on the battlefield, providing strategy, but also music. David was a musician. So that when they win, they celebrate. But no, 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 the text tells us that David is not there. His oversight was missed on the field. And instead of being on the battlefield, David is now trying to spice up the bedroom with another man's wife. David stays home to chill. He's hanging back. He's kind of digging the scene with a gangster lean. And he gets up and walks to his roof, and he sees Bathsheba. He's living the palace life. He's he's enjoying it, just being lazy. And out of that, David messes up. I, I can see him now as he gets up from rest. He puts in his AirPods, and he has uh, uh, the song Poison on Ain't Nothing But a Good Time. He, he sees Bathsheba over the roof, and, and, and he's saying, ain't looking for nothing but a good time? How can I resist? I know it won't get better than this. He sees a fine woman, gorgeous. The text says, very beautiful. And David is ready. He sends his team. He says, hey, 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 I need you to go and get Bathsheba. One of his friends says, well, isn't that the wife of Uriah, the daughter of so-and-so? I need you to bring her here. Things happen. And, beloved, we can take from that quick story this. If we are playing with sins of the flesh, you are living on borrowed time. Because it will come back to bite you. It will get you. Uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll said this, no, no sin except the sin of Adam and Eve has received more press than the sin of David and Bathsheba. He goes on to say, he's still a man after God's heart. He sinned, but his sin was no greater than yours or mine's. Ours are simply not recorded. <laughs> Affair with Bathsheba. He creates a bogus plan uh, with Joab. He then tries to trick Uriah and get him drunk calling him from the battlefield so that he would go home and then lay with his wife. Didn't work. Then he becomes a murderer. He puts Uriah on the front lines and he he gives orders to kill him because Bathsheba comes back and says, I am pregnant and I will bear a child. A lot is going on up in here. It's, It's a mess, David. However, Be sure that our sins will find us out. Yep, those failures, they're going to find us out. And they always bear consequences. So then God, being clever in who he is, he sends a prophet by the name of Nathan. And I got to read this story to you because I got an hour and a half to preach. (laughs) 2 Samuel 12. Watch this. Second Samuel 12. And the Lord sent to Nathan, uh, sent Nathan to David. 
And he came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but a wee little lamb, which he brought. He brought it up. It grew up with him and his children. It used to eat with, of his morsel and drink from his cup and lay in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Any lamb lovers in the house? Like cooked with, uh, all right, never mind. Now, there came a traveler, a rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or her to prepare a meal for the guests when he had come. But he took the poor man's lamb, watch this, and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord gives, the Lord, uh, uh, the, the man deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he's done this thing and have no pity. Nathan said to David, and I'm going to stop at verse 7. <laughs> you are that man. You want to talk about indictment? You, David, king. God's favorite servant. You were called from the shepherding field when you were looked over. You are that man. Wow. You want to talk about accountability. You want to talk about small group one-on-one? It's right here. Nathan looks the king in his eyes and he delivers truth Love, forgiveness, and hope, which plays into God's story of healing us. And we'll get to that at the end. But, but, but if I can, can I pause right here and advise the bodies of believers sitting in this room and watching online, you will be a Nathan to someone else. And guess what? God will place a Nathan in your life. And when he does, when he does, can we do it with grace, with gentleness, and it has to be based on God's timing. It has to be based in truth, not in opinions, and it has to serve to lead that person or that body back to restoration with God. When God does allow us to be Nathans in someone's life, calling out that failure or that sin, we can't go in trying to chop their heads off. No, it got to be in God's timing, and it has to be based in truth. Nathan went with the truth. Not of his, well, I thought you did this, and you should have did this. No, it was based in truth. And God would use you to do that. And ultimately, it serves back, or it will circle back, into leading into hope and restoration. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in Psalm 51. About a year has gone by, and David has now said these words, my sin is ever before me. And he pins these words in in Psalm 51. And I'm going to read the whole text and then we'll, we'll go back through it. Psalm 51 reads this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words. And blameless in your judgment, 
Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the, sacred, in the secret heart. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse 13. Then I would teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open up my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for uh, you will not delight in a sacrifice, or uh, I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and a whole burnt offerings. The bulls will be offered to your altar. David later comes to the sense of regret. I messed up. And with bitter tears and a heart, he draws near to God out of contrition. And I believe David... David got the point where we're going for this morning that failure isn't final because God finishes our stories. And you can sit in those chairs today and you can maybe go back through the Rolodex of your life and say, yep, I've had them in my, my life. And Tay, I stand today because that is a personal thing to me that God has finishes your story. So here's three things I want to, go, I want to give to you walk through the text. It's point number one is this. Uh, when we have those failure moments, we draw near to God. David knew that he messed up. That the goodness of God that he had experienced was not being portrayed in his character or his conduct. So he drew near to God. Why do we draw near to God? Because God has a merciful heart. Psalm 86.5, for you, O Lord, uh, are good and forgiven, abundant and steadfast love for those who call upon your name. Hebrews 4, 6, uh, 4 and 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in the time of need. 1 Peter 1 and 3, I'm just preaching Bible this morning. Blessed be to God, the Father of Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy that he has called us to be born again into a living hope. You want to talk about God writing your story? There it is, that through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we have that hope. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord will not uh, slow to fulfill his promise as he uh, has counted slowlessness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone perish, but all should reach repentance. David says, I have to draw near to God for mercy but also his steadfast love. In Hebrew, this is word hesed. 250 times hesed is used in the Old Testament, and it, and it exemplifies um, 
this covenant-keeping promise of God. His love, his steadfast love, his faithful love, his loyal love. And David says, I have to now appeal to God because even when I was unfaithful, God remained faithful to his people. He says, I need that love right now. David was aware of his needs for God's mercy according to his unfailing love and God's great compassion or mercy. He appealed to God and he says, here's the request that I know I'll get disciplined, but please, please, please give me your grace. He asked God to do this kind of accounting term here, blot, to blot out, make things right, right? Do the adding, do the subtracting, but also could you just hit delete on the keyboard, Lord? Blot out my transgressions. Wipe away my sinful acts. He wants mercy and forgiveness. And God, of course, gives us forgiveness, but there's also consequences, always consequences for our failures, for our sin. Mercy and forgiveness is God's gift to the confessing and repentant sinner. Let me say that again. Mercy and forgiveness is God's gift to the confessing and repentant sinner. So we draw near to him. Though David's sins uh, included others, ultimately David says, this sin is against you and you alone, O God. You look down there around verse, verse 4. Against you have I sinned. Sin is against God. It's evil. And God, you are just, and you need to do what you as a just God will do. The plea here for David is serious. R remember his position. David is king. Large territory. As king, you've you got to bring judgment sometimes. You've got to act in love. And so now he is appealing to the God of the world, the king of the world, to now do to him what he's done to others. It's a serious thing. He feels as if he is on God's major most wanted list. David feels as an outcast. He feels left aside. He feels like maybe I should run uh, and hide. And he says, there's no way God is going to forgive me. I'm toast. And if I can right there for a moment, impress to you today this primary gospel truth is that God forgives God forgives. Somebody needs to hear that it, it won't be by legalism. It won't be by your degrees. It won't be by your socioeconomic status. It won't be by your finances. It's going to be God alone who forgives and make us whole. God does that. Not Tavon, not an elder, not your boss. It's God that does it. And it's a good thing. Because we don't then live under condemnation. No, we live under freedom. That spirit doesn't live within us. That's not our God. But we do have consequences to face as God's people when we sin. And when we think our mistakes and our failures and sins disqualifies us, God qualifies us with his grace. When, when we think we've gone too far, and I'll never do this again, or I'll never have that again. God says, no, I'll qualify you with my grace. 
So what's our response? We then draw near to him. Nothing else feels that. Nothing else corrects that. Nothing else forgives that. We then draw near to him. We run to, not from. We run to, not from. Okay, so here's the next point, is that we desire to repent because it's freeing. We desire to repent because it's freeing. I don't know I've ever been to a church and shared this story right off the bat or been a listener and heard the speaker get as vulnerable as I'm getting ready to get. Grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Come from a broken family, very urban uh, context. I had two options to either run the streets or be a rapper. I don't like to run and I don't like to rap. And the culture around me surrounded me. And in a divorced family, you got parents who are working, you got tons and tons of free time. And so one of my addictions in life was sexual immorality and pornography. And it had chains and grips on me like no other. Time after time, I'm doing great. I'm letting it go. But then I would sin and fall. I, I get to Moody. My whole first year was a change of, of life for me. And all of that time, I'm still indulging in those things. And God takes me away from where I said, Lord, you are calling me to do and be. What is going on? I didn't understand it. So I left after one year. I then went and worked at Gold Lake Ministries to where I met my Nathan, Keith Miller, the maintenance man, who took me under his wing, who showed me that when you repent and when you walk with God, it is freeing. And we did ministry, and we had fun, and he got upside my head when he needed to, and he taught me what it's like to walk with God, and the freedom I have of pornography, and the freedom I have of sexual immorality. Of course, it's to God, but it's to the Nathan coming in my life. If I never would have done that my first year, I would have been just down in guilt, down in shame. But when I learned to confess and repent, it freed me. Like the chains breaking and falling, and I'm able to move on and walk in him. God finishes our stories. Failure doesn't. Desire to repent because it's free. And you look around, verse 7, uh, through the following verses, David is now asking, God, I need you to make me clean. Make, make me clean. I'm obedient. I'm willing. And it's only by your spirit that this can happen. David asks as God to remove all the stains of his sins while bringing him a spiritual renewal. David fully acknowledged his sin. And he called it what he was. He, he didn't call it weakness, but he called it wickedness. He didn't call it an accident. He called it a crime. David wants to be free. But more than that, if you look at the text, David wants to be purged. This word purged with hyssop, the, to be clean with uh, hyssop, is the image of leopards in the Old Testament. 
of them seeking this ceremonial cleaning. And they would take the hyssop and they would dip it uh, in, in blood and, 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 and water and they would to wipe it on the, uh, the leper. David says, Lord, I'm coming to you now as a spiritual leper. And I need you to take hyssop. Also, that hyssop would be used when you go back to the Passover, right? They would take it and dip it and put it on their doorpost so that they would know that they are a child of God. David is saying, Lord, I only need you in my life. I, I need you to purge me with something that only your spirit would cleanse for me. That I identify myself, that my, my walk, my conduct, my character looks more like you. Purge me with hyssop. He wants to be clean. He was guilty. Sin was ever before him. But he had a profound sense of wanting to be made clean. So he says, purge me. He says, then wash me. Then heal me. Then see me, God. Restore me. And then he asks to deliver me. All of these things we've done in our life. We've taken the laundry. We scrubbed it out. We washed it. We dried it, we hung it, we put it on because it's clean. Lord, would you let that be my life? He then says, I want to be created with a clean heart, right around that verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. To be created with a clean heart and a renewed spirit. Surely, just, just like David, we know that the Lord cleansed, that he is the only one. And then we go and we live that out. He says, I want this cleaning to be in the inner parts of me, both my mind and my heart. That I'm not just going to live a lie and try to cover it up. No, 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 you, you clean me. And that word create, it's the same verb translated in Genesis 1.1. What did God do? Create it. Man, if that's not good news for us this morning, the world made out of nothing, God created. Imagine what he can do and what he does and what he will do in the lives here and watching online when we draw near to him, when we repent because it's freeing. He creates beautiful things. So here's a question I want you to reflect on is do you and I spend adequate time confessing our sin to the Lord each day? Do we spend adequate time confessing our sin to the Lord each day? Or maybe you are the Tavon his freshman year of college who thought if I just kept keep hiding it, if I keep indulging a little bit, I'll be okay, I'll get over it. No, no. No, let it go. There is freedom in living God's way, not of your own, not of your world. Desire to repent because it's freeing. Text goes on, text goes on. Deliver me from uh, the blood guiltness, O God of my salvation. I want you to restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then he he goes on in verse 15, he says, Oh Lord, now open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Here's the third point I want to leave to us today, is don't stop being missional. Let me dissect that word missional. You all, 
all have a purpose in life that maybe you know now or you're searching or you're, you will soon figure it out for the students in the room. And wrapped up in that is God's doing or God's placing that in your life and on your heart so that you don't go and live for yourself. We go and live on mission for him. Although David messed up, man, he says, now I have to remain on mission for God. Open up my lips. Let my mouth declare your praise. Lord, I know you won't delight in any sacrifices uh, of killing any things of, of now. So I come to you with obedience and I'm coming to you with action. And then he says, do good to Zion. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. David's missional after failing, after mistakes, after sin. Why? He's not condemned. David is moving in the direction of my heart is fixed, my mind is made up, and I must go and stay true to the Lord, and I'm bringing everybody who wants to come with me. You'll be a Nathan, but you'll also be you in someone else's life. Maybe it's your own family. They're all coming with you. And don't lay off that mission. Don't get your foot off the gas. Don't stop being missional. I see this play that plays out uh, when my former students come back to youth group. Right? We always have a graduating class of seniors, and I love when they come back for the summer because I always have them come back to youth group and speak to the students who are there. Right? Those students once sat in those seats. They once went on the same retreats and on the same summer camps and sat in the same small groups and heard the same Bible stories and played the same lame games, I know. And they come back. And their first year of college has been great. They had some tough times and some rough times, but they come back and time after time, they tell the students who are sitting in the room, this place is going to be meaningful in your life because XYZ is next. And I love that picture of those seniors or now freshmen in college coming back to pour into the next generation. They are on mission, fired up, ready. They got, they got a chance to live their own. They got a little freedom, but they stay true. And they come back and urge the other students, continue to walk with the Lord. Continue to obey him. And he will direct our path. David says, I, I, I need you, Lord, to now open up my lips and I will declare your praise. That's it. good news. And then he says, why don't you do good to Zion? Why don't you rebuild? I, I, I love that, that, that rebuild. God's people, because of their disobedience, the Israelites, time and time again, would get slayed because of their disobedience. The walls got destroyed. They didn't have uh, what they had in the promised land. And David is saying, I, I don't want to be a bad example to the nation you uh, put me over. Let, let, me, let me go back and be an example to them. And while I'm there, God, please, please let them see you, not me. Do good to Zion. Build up the walls. Because the right sacrifice is not us going back and, and slaying the biggest calf. No, the right sacrifice is a repented heart. The right sacrifice is the brother or sister who is walking with the Lord. And then God outpours his spirit upon us, and we walk with him. The king realizes that his failure could impress on the nation. And David's like, no, I'm not okay with that. So God, would you please preserve these people to walk with you and not follow in my way that could infect others? 
Do good unto Zion. That's so good. And rebuild. The places where they should be and they're not, would you rebuild it so they can get back there? The times where they didn't win because of the disobedience, God, would you allow them to prevail because they're ready to follow you? And if I, David, can stand as the, as, the, as the man who walked these people into victory, so be it, I will. David stays on mission. In your workplaces, in the warehouse, at your desk, at your sports camp, at the grocery store, at the hair salon, this goes on and on. Let's be missional. Somebody needs to hear and then see that their failure isn't final. God finishes their story. And they will look at you or you will look at them and get spurred on, encourage, and engage in the good things that God has for all of us in life. Don't stop being missional. I, uh, I got another picture to show. We have a pond behind our, our church. And um, we all had lunch there Tuesday. This is right behind our church. And our families came, and we were, we were hanging out. And so a lot of our family members have young boys. And so they go by the pond, and there's little fish in the pond. So they're taking this uh, bungee cord, thinking they're fishing. All right, great. Well, you got five boys around a pond. They are careless to what's happened. What do you think is going to happen? And whose do you think it is? <laughs> My son, Harvey. Harvey takes the little bungee cord, and he dangles it over, in, over into the pond, thinking he's going to catch a fish. Harvey, let's go. Harvey, let's go. It's time to go. Harvey wants to do his own thing. Nope, Harvey, let's go. And the last swipe is his dip. <laughs> Harvey falls into the muddiest part of the outside of that pond. Here I am already had a long lunch, ready to get back into it. Now my son has mud all over his clothes, and all I can think about is my Buick. <laughs> he riding in my car with wet clothes on, with muddy clothes on, and I am fuming. I told you not to do that the last time. Why didn't you listen to Daddy? Why didn't you do that? Well, Harvey, scared. I mean, he didn't go face deep. He did fall backwards. <laughs> but it startled him. So he's crying. He's frightened. And my wife from the patio... Then says, what happened? I said, he fell in the pond. I can take him home. My wife then does this, and this is where I close. She pulls out a new set of clothes and closes my son with. And while I'm upset, and while I'm angry, and while I want to beat him over here because his silly mistake, my wife then pulls out a new set of clothes and put it on my son Harvey. Beloved, today, can I tell you, God has given us a new set of clothes. Because of the cross of Calvary, where he said, here is my body, you can take it. Beat it and bruise it. Here are my hands. You can pierce them. Here are my feet. You can have it. Here is my head. Crown it with a crown of thorns. And I will die, and I will rise, and the people of God will come and walk with me. He's given us new clothes. And all you and I have to do, we don't wallow in our past, in our failures. We put on the new clothes, and we enjoy them forever. Put on God's new clothes. The sacrifice, the right sacrifice, is you and I obeying him, walking in him, 
and believing, repenting, confessing and coming to him. God, you are all I need. He has offered us new clothes. So I'll leave you with these application points. Worship band, you can make your way back up. Is we run to, not from. Like, don't hit the steering wheel with our head down like, oh, now I can't go to my meeting. No, we, we run to God, not from. He does the healing. He does the correcting. He does the forgiving. And then believe you are free in Christ. Right? You repent it. You confess. And you are now walking the straight and narrow. Believe that. No power hell. No scheme of man. Those songs we sang this morning could ever pluck us from his hand. So he returns and calls us home. Here in the power of Christ we stand. Believe you are free. From head to heart, from heart to head, believe you are free. And then enjoy new clothes. Enjoy new clothes. The world's not going to see those stains. They'll see the freedom that you and I have in Jesus. Enjoy life in new clothes. Let's pray. Oh God, we entered this world estranged from you, enslaved to sin from the womb. Yet you and your grace rescued us for yourself. You made us a people to be called by your name, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And Lord, we ask you to shower your mercy upon us by blotting out all of our transgressions, by washing us of our iniquities and cleansing us from our sins. At times, Lord, it is against you alone that we have sinned and committed treason and the act in a way it is unworthy to be called your children. But Lord, you restore. You restore the joy of your salvation to us and give us a willing spirit so that we may be sustained in you. May our lives be the sacrifice that we offer to you we pray this in your name.